It's 6 p.m. and you are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Friday, May 21st, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller and this is the KVMR Evening News. After the BBC headlines, the California report marks a momentous day in the history of COVID-19 and examines the plight of live music venues that have spent more than a year on the brink. After a roundup of weekend news and weather, Al Stoller talks to Shelley Covert about exhibits at the new Nissanon Gallery on Broad Street. Finally, Felton Pruitt chats with Amber Jo Manuel about the Center for the Arts' much-anticipated summer programs. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. There's been a major milestone in the fight against COVID-19 at one Bay Area hospital. For the first time since March 2020, San Francisco General says there are zero COVID-19 patients currently there. In a tweet, Dr. Vivek Jain, who is co-director of infection control at the hospital, called it a truly momentous day. He credited San Francisco's general acceptance of vaccines as a major factor in the decrease in COVID cases cases, but says more needs to be done when it comes to access for hard-hit neighborhoods. Health officials across the state are trying to figure out ways to get doses to people who have not been vaccinated. Now, some cities and counties are offering rewards for those who get shots. The latest is L.A. County, where health officials have partnered with the L.A. Lakers. Anyone 18 and older who gets their first shot at a city or county-run site this weekend will be eligible to win a pair of Lakers season tickets next year. The city of Long Beach and Santa Clara County are among the others also offering residents incentives. Some states, like Ohio, are even offering lottery prizes as a way to get more people vaccinated, and it seems to be working. There's been a 28 percent increase in vaccinations in Ohio since that incentive was announced. Turning to the state budget, businesses around the state are scouring Governor Gavin Newsom's May revise to the budget for potential benefits to them. But one industry that feels like it's been slighted is California's independent music venues. The National Independent Venue Association of California, which has more than 600 members, is pushing for state legislators and the governor to support a stimulus grant program. Joe Rinaldi, managing partner at the Music Box in San Diego, tells the California Report this can be a life preserver for venues that are on the brink of closure. We asked for $250 million. Uh, That works out to about $300,000 per venue on average. If you know anything about what it costs, we're burning somewhere between $25,000 and $200,000 per venue per month. Rinaldi says venues have applied for and received help through PPP loans and small business grants, but in many cases that money has been used for things that aren't related to running a live event. We've had all this time to take care of things like negotiating with landlords and putting in construction, and we haven't been able to use it. So now we're going to use part of our reopening window because of the timing of all this. It's going to drain whatever grants the venues are going to get, and then we're going to have to turn right around and say, where is our working capital to take on what's now, you know, a year and a half's worth of problem. 
Rinaldi says these venues are a lifeblood to the community and drive business to neighborhoods that rely on consistent foot traffic from live concert crowds throughout the year. There are other hurdles besides just operational costs that venues are coping with as they push towards reopening. Restaffing is probably one of the biggest, he says. And one Bay Area institution has shown us the complicated decisions some workers are having to navigate as they consider returning to their old jobs. That venue is Oakland's eclectic Starline Social Club, which was presumed to be gone forever after its owners put the business and the building on the market last year. But Bay Area music fans rejoiced when the venue announced it would reopen in September and that it'd be coming back as a worker-owned co-op. Things weren't what they seemed. It turned out most of their employees had been laid off since the pandemic started and only heard about this when it was announced to the public. Here to talk about it is Nastya Voynovskaya. She's with KQED Arts. Welcome to you. Hi, Lily. So a worker-owned co-op would seem like something that would appeal to workers. Why are employees so upset? Well, the way the former employees found out about this was when they saw a video of themselves posted to the bar's Instagram that showed them all dancing and having fun. And it kind of created this implication to the public that they were all on board with the worker-owned co-op. But most of them hadn't heard from the owners since the pandemic started. And a lot of them described it as the owners using their images to market this idea that they're not part of. And then also many of the employees in interviews raised questions about the finances. We know that Starline Social Club was struggling before the pandemic and that the owners had tried to sell the business and building. So they wondered what kind of costs would potentially be passed off to worker owners if it did indeed become a co-op. Let's talk more about that. What are some of those other financial concerns that workers raised? Well, public records show that Starline Social Club received over $700,000 in PPP loans. And while those may be forgiven, that's still uncertain. So employees were asking who will pay those back if they do become worker owners. And there are just basic startup costs associated with reopening, like who's going to stock the bar and kitchen. They, They wanted to know what kinds of risk they would be assuming. And I tried to ask the owners these questions in an interview, but they declined to answer them. But they did say that they're exploring several financial models, including an ESOP, which is an an employee stock ownership plan. But an ESOP is actually different from a co-op. It doesn't require democratic ownership. So I think overall, the situation has a lot more unanswered questions. And the owners of Starline Social Club offered to do a town hall with the employees, but several of them that I spoke with said that they had already moved on to other jobs. And there has been this narrative in the news of business owners saying workers don't want to return to work. What does this story say to you, Nastia, about why that might be? We're hearing stories of workers not wanting to return to industries where they don't feel respected. And I think during the pandemic, workers from a lot of different industries have begun to organize. All right, Nastia, thank you so much for this reporting. I know you're going to stay on it. Thank you, Lily. Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash adapting care. 
and Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And that is the California Report for this Friday, May 21st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Danny Bringer and Katie McMurrin, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks so much for listening and have a great weekend. California businesses will be able to open their doors on June 15th without the COVID-19 capacity and physical distancing restrictions that have been in place for more than a year, according to the state's top public health officials, the Sacramento Bee is reporting today. During a Friday press call, Health and Human Services Secretary Dr. Mark Galley said California is on track to meet the reopening criteria Governor Newsom announced in April. Galley said, we're in a place in the pandemic where the restrictions of the past are no longer needed for the foreseeable future. Galley added that vaccinated Californians will be able to take off their masks in any social setting in accordance with the CDC guidelines, though unvaccinated residents should continue wearing them. After June 15th, the state will continue to have restrictions on what it describes as mega events and release details on what those guidelines will be. Vaccine verification or a negative test will be required for indoor events of 5,000 people or more and will be recommended for outdoor events of 10,000 people or more. Galley said California has no plans to adopt a vaccine passport program. This afternoon, the updated Nevada County Public Health COVID-19 dashboard reported five new cases for a total of 129 active cases. The first of two free residential green waste disposal events for Nevada County residents kicked off today. Residents can dispose of their green waste at no cost from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. through Monday at 12625 Brunswick Road in Grass Valley. Ubinet.com reported this afternoon that during the first day of the multi-weekend event, 543 loads of grass, brush, tree limbs, leaves, and needles were dropped off at the Brunswick site. That far outpaces the 2020 record of 357 loads in a single day. Every year, the Nevada County Office of Emergency Services encourages homeowners to create and maintain defensible space, building a buffer between a structure and the grasses, trees, and shrubs that surround it is essential to slowing or stopping a wildfire. Defensible space helps protect homes while providing safety for firefighters. It also creates a great deal of green waste to dispose of. With five of the state's 10 largest wildfires having burned in 2020, the County Office of Emergency Services notes, the trend seems to indicate that future fires will be more intense and destructive. Unseasonably warm weather, low fuel moisture, and drought conditions early in the season have climate and fire professionals alike sounding the alarm that this fire season is likely to be severe. And keep in mind that, due to increasing fire danger, CAL FIRE has suspended burn permits in Nevada, Yuba, and Placer counties as of 8 a.m. Monday. 
In other fire news, regional fire chiefs and OES officials will be available to answer questions about fire season at a ubinet.com webinar at 5 p.m. Thursday. Topics will include the new edition of the Ready Nevada County Handbook, the new Zone Haven Evacuation Zone System, and steps residents should take before, during, and after a fire incident. Email your questions ahead of time to townhall at ubinet.com. The Grass Valley Library has announced that a new program, Spice Up Your World, will have its first meeting on June the 1st. The Cookbook Club will hand out a new spice packet each month that members can pick up at the library, along with recipe cards and information on the typical cuisine in which the spice is used. Members will meet at 4 p.m. on June 1st via Zoom to discuss how they enjoyed and used the spice of the month, which is sumac, a common spice used in Mediterranean cuisine. Sumac spice packets are currently available for pickup at the Grass Valley Library. The Miners Foundry Cultural Center in downtown Nevada City will present live music this weekend with the duo of Bob Woods and Juliette Gobert performing from 4 to 7 p.m. Saturday. The Foundry has teamed with Sierra Stages to produce live music, comedy, and theater at the Foundry's Deer Creek stage starting in June. Some of these events have already sold out. Information can be found at the Miners Foundry and Sierra Stages websites. In regional weekend weather, tonight in Nevada City and Grass Valley, partly cloudy with a low of 46 and decreasing light and variable winds. On Saturday, partly cloudy with a high of 68, a low of 52, and a slight chance of a rain shower. Sunday in Nevada City and Grass Valley, partly cloudy with a high of 73 and a low of 55. Tonight in Truckee, mostly cloudy with a low of 28. Cloudy Saturday with a 40% chance of showers later in the day, a high of 51 and a low of 31. Sunday in Truckee, partly cloudy, with a high of 59 and a low of 29. In Sacramento, partly cloudy tonight with a low around 50. Saturday in Sacramento, mostly sunny with a high near 80, a low of 51, and winds up to 15 miles per hour. Sunday in Sacramento, mainly sunny with a high of 82 and a low of 52. Al Stoller talks to Shelley Covert about two thought-provoking exhibits from the Judith Lowry Collection of Native Art, opening Saturday at the Nevada City Rancheria Nisenon Tribe's new gallery on Broad Street. What's happening tomorrow? Tomorrow is the pre-opening of the Ubaseu Art Gallery and Nisenon Cultural Space. This is the first time that we're inviting the public in. We have two beautiful exhibits hung on loan from the Judith Lowry Collection. One is Indians, Irony, and Identity, a personal collection of Indian kitsch, stereotype, mascots. These are all reflected in this Indian kitsch. Maybe you should define kitsch. It's a word that's not really used much today. There might be a number of reasons for that. <laughs> right? There's an awful lot of it around. Gaudy, cliche, like really over the top, you know, kitsch. 
The other exhibit is on the other side of the kitsch. It's called The Dawn of the World. It was art created through the WPA, Federal Art Program. They're non-native artists, watercolors of Native California creation stories. They're just beautiful, really worthy coming in and seeing for yourself. I had a chance to just a few minutes ago to look at some of them. They are very cool. They're amazingly beautiful. They capture the stories intricately. I identify so deeply with those stories, and yet here's a visual that I can look at that really brings it to life for me. How crow gave people fire. How people were created and how lizard and coyote argued over what kind of hands humans would have. Lizard got his way and humans didn't have paws like coyote. These pieces are just spectacular. The exhibit originally hung at the Mount Diablo State Park Museum. The conversation around calling Mount Diablo Mount Diablo is worthy of conversation because things in the native world don't translate into English very well. And that, for the people of the Mount Diablo area, is their place of creation. For us, what we now today call the Sutter Buttes, which my grandpa said it was impolite to call it that, Estomianim, that is our place of creation. Say it again. Estomianim. These places have all been renamed, and sometimes the name that is given to our sacred places is really kind of offensive if you look at it, you know, like you're putting this label on somebody's place of creation. The exhibits are really thought-provoking. They stimulate conversation around things we don't always get a chance to talk about. Give us the name and where it's at. Our space is called Uba Seu. It is 225 Broad Street. This is our soft opening, pre-opening, whatever you want to call it. Saturday, May 22nd and May 23rd from 1 to 4 p.m. It's kid-friendly. Absolutely kid-friendly. We will be asking people to observe social distancing and please wear your mask. I know all that is changing every day. It feels like that conversation is in flux, but we would really like it if people would wear their mask. This is also going to be an office for the missing arm. This space is going to be a flexible space. We will have retail featuring and highlighting Native American artists in California. We will bring in visiting art exhibits. I was talking with Judith Lowry, you know, who is Chirp's founder, a very famous Native American contemporary artist herself. There's something about giving art and letting people view art that isn't necessarily commercial. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but having this social aspect of art, it raises the visibility of social issues that are sometimes invisible. I have a lot of pride around that. We will have retail. I hope that we will be, you know, tourist friendly so that people can come in and take something of Nisanon identity home with them when they come. We want to obviously participate in stimulating our local economy and all that good stuff, but it is a nonprofit. This is an arm of church. So it's a nonprofit space. So we have a lot of flexibility. Tell us again where it's at and when. Ubaseyu will be having our pre-opening Saturday, May 22nd and Sunday, May 23rd from 1 to 4 p.m. And where's it at? 225 Broad Street in Nevada City. Shelly, it's been really good talking with you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Al. I've been speaking with Shelly Covert of the local Missing Arm. For KBMR, I'm Al Stoller. 
Looking to party to live music with your pandemic pod and a few hundred other friends? The Center for the Arts is making summer plans that will let you do exactly that. We're talking with Amber Jo Manuel from the Center for the Arts. She's the executive director. And Amber Jo, you've got some exciting news about some shows coming to the fairgrounds that the Center for the Arts is putting on. We do. We are doing a summer concert series, which we have never done before at the Nevada County Fairgrounds. And we're super excited to be able to deliver these. We are doing them all within the state guidelines for outdoor concerts. So there is very limited capacity. So I would love folks to understand, like, you are never going to see Taj Mahal, Los Lobos, Tommy Emanuel, Del McCurry, all these bands with just a few hundred friends, probably ever in your life. So it's something that you really want to get a ticket for. I mean, usually concerts at the fairgrounds are like lots of people, and these are going to be small and intimate. Why don't you run down the list of your shows, when they are, and who's playing? Sure. June 12th is Taj Mahal. And we're getting close to sold out on that one. So if people want to see Taj Mahal, they should probably grab their ticket. June 19th is Los Lobos. July 17th is our World Fest Day. It's not going to be a four-day festival. We needed to keep within the guidelines and do something that we could keep people within the restrictions that we have from the state. So it's just three bands. Paige Lucille, which some of you might know from Paige Anderson, is in a band called Two Runner, and that is going to open for us. And then Bumua, which is from an Inuit band, is going to be second. And then Azamatli is going to headline that World Fest Day. So again, it's just about a half day. We start around 5 o'clock with those three bands, but it's going to be really great. So we hope you join us for World Fest Day. And then July 24th, we have Tommy Emanuel coming. And then July 31st is Del McCurry. Now, when we talked a couple of months ago about World Fest, you weren't exactly sure what venue you were going to be able to use. So we've, you got it all worked out with the fairgrounds, obviously. We did. We looked at a lot of venues, but with the guidelines, you need to be in a pod. And our pods are eight by eight, and they seat like four to six people in the pod. And they're all distanced from each other, six feet on all sides. So North Star House and Western Gateway Park, it was a little more difficult to get all of that distancing You know, we're going to be on the grassy green, which we usually are for World Fest, in a space that usually seats 5,000. So there is plenty of room on that grass for people to have social distancing. So that's why we approached the fairgrounds about doing the series there. A lot of people are going to want to go see these bands, especially like Los Lobos. How many tickets can you sell? We can sell right now. We are still in the red tier. We can just sell 500 in this place that usually has... 5,000. We're hoping that we, our county will get it together and go to Orange and then we can release more tickets. So what we'll do is we'll go to 500 and then if we can go to the Orange tier, then we'll be able to release 300 more tickets and then it would be 800. And even if we get better by, say, July or something, that might even get better then? It might even get better. Um, Yellow tier is 1,700. The shows are going to sell out, I can tell by how they're selling. They're for sure going to sell out. And so we all just have to, like, do our part so that we can get this county into the next tier, and then we can release some more tickets so more people can join us. Well, we thank you for all the information. We've been talking with Amber Jo Manuel from the Center for the Arts. We wish you luck with this new Fairgrounds Summer Concert Series. Thank you, Fulton, and thank you, KVMR, for supporting the arts. 
Bonus content from Felton Pruitt's interview with Amber Jo Manuel is available at kvmr.org in the news and podcast sections. That's our newscast. Stay tuned for the California Report magazine, coming up next at 6.30, with three stories of creative Californians, including a man on a mission to get his aunt, trailblazing black actor Juanita Moore, a posthumous star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. KVMR gets support from... The Colfax Farm and Country Store, family-owned since 2007, downtown Colfax. Open daily 9 to 6, Sundays 10 to 2. Carrying hay, feed, garden supplies, also North Idaho energy logs and stove pellets. Delivery available, colfaxfarmstore.com. And Hanson Brothers Enterprises, since 1953. Providing aggregates, construction services, equipment rentals, ready-mix concrete, masonry, and landscape products for public works, commercial, and residential projects. Located in Grass Valley and Colfax, gohbe.com. I'm Joyce Miller, and this evening I'm signing off as a KVMR news anchor for the summer. Be safe, and I'll see you in September. September.